secret art of business? The creative side of our brain and the business side of our brain may seem like two separate entities, but they are actually interconnected and complementary. The creative side of our brain can bring fresh and innovative ideas to the table, while the business side of our brain can turn these ideas into practical and profitable solutions. By tapping into both the creative and business side of our brains, we can find a balance between risk-taking and practicality, leading to more success and fulfillment in both our personal and professional lives. I'm Katherine Lane Klein, entrepreneur and creative person, and in this podcast, we will hear success stories from people that are doing exactly that, and hopefully giving you ideas of how you can too. Welcome everyone to the Secret Art of Business, and today I have Corey Safety Man Jones. Corey, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's really my pleasure. I really appreciate you inviting me, Catherine. I'm really excited to talk with you. Now, just as a little backstory, I'll just do this in a little bit of an intro. Um, Corey, you are the safety man and you operate mostly out of South Jersey and Philadelphia, if I have that correct. Um, And what you do is you work with multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar companies to help them with um, unforeseen emergencies, disasters, um, active shooter drills, things like that. So um, I'll have you expand on that. So tell us a little bit more about Safety Man. Well, thanks, Catherine. Um, I'm really always excited to talk about Safety Man, not so much because it's my business and because I want to get my name out there, but as I'm sure you'll, you'll pick up and your guests will pick up throughout this conversation, I, I truly do care that we're making the world a safer place. Uh, prior to Safety Man, I spent 27 years in municipal law enforcement, uh, ran a SWAT team, taught defensive tactics, was involved in community policing, and being involved in community policing really allowed me to actually jump the bridge as opposed to going to a call for service as a routine beat cop, handling it, and then leaving. With community policing, I was engaging the community about their actual problems, fears, goals, objectives, and then work with them for potential solutions is a strong word, maybe mitigating uh, actions that they could do, the agency could do, the township could do, and try and, and work together to do that. So that's really been the nexus of my training and experience and how I decided after I retired, how can I still help but still provide for my family? So what I do with Safety Man is my first question, should you be a a prospective client and you reached out to Safety Man and say, hey, I'm thinking about this or that, I would say, why? Tell me exactly why. What happened? What changed yesterday to make you email, call, text, or reach out to me? What was it? Was it something that happened down the street? Was it a a colleague? Was it your actual business? Was it something you're seeing on the news? Or were you just, you know what, I just want to be a little bit more prepared. Something feels off. I want to be more prepared. So I find out what the why is, and then I work with you to look for some reasonable, attainable goals and objectives that we can start to put into place, whether it be training, whether it be physical security upgrades, uh, whether it be hiring outside security, armed security, um, or whether it just be you're good to go, just reinforce what you already have and you actually don't need me. I've actually had clients that really didn't need me. You know, they, they, they had their I's dotted and T's crossed. They more wanted somebody to say, hey, good job with that. I think that's fantastic because um, what you're describing are situations that people don't necessarily want to be in, but if you don't know how to handle it at all, (laughs) then it's even a bigger problem. But to have, you know, someone to come in and kind of walk you through, you know, if this happens, here's what you can do or here's some options. I think that that is really huge and has probably, you know, not only brought people peace of mind, but probably has saved a life or two along the way. Um, what 
are what's like your ideal client, for example? Let's let's talk about that. My ideal client is a client who can actually make the decision, who can who doesn't need to, That's my favorite thing yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, that you make a decision. Yeah, and that was that was something I had to learn on the way. Because remember, being a cop for twenty seven years, I never had to go look for work. It was always there. People would call nine one one and say, "Hey, right. here's work for you, dude. Go do it." Now I have to actually go find it. And I'm sure you know the the gatekeepers and you know the the call takers and the, and the oh, yeah. ombudsman and, and all those types of things that kind of keep you away from the decision makers. So I, I have to try to say the right thing early in a conversation to not be a fear monger, but to be a reality speaker and ask the probing question. Do you have a plan for this? Do you have a plan for that? And finally, someone says, ooh, you know what? I don't. So then that ideal client that you're referring to would be somebody who can, who's aware of what reality is in their business, aware of what reality is around them, and, and if they are vulnerable, are open to me pointing out those vulnerabilities, and then willing to address those in a reasonable fashion. And then, you know, we'll support the training throughout and then do follow-up training if there's a turnover rate. You know, some businesses have steady uh, team members that are that are with them for years and years and years and other ones have a really high turnover rate especially like summer businesses um, and so forth might have a high turnover rate so that training you just spent time effort and energy on is worthless because you have 75 percent new team members coming in that, that next uh, fiscal year so that ideal client is somebody who so aware. You, you have a lot of repeat customers then I, I if imagine. I do it right I do. If I do it right, I do. I have to, it's really up to me to make sure that when I leave them, I leave them with a blueprint so they can continue. And then if they, if they determine holes, I try not to build in, you're definitely going to need me to come back in two years, but here's some things you really need to look at. You made a good decision today. We, we accomplished a lot today, but this is now the new standard. So emotionally, if I'm a business owner and I now set this standard for my team, my clients, um, my property, my business, my well-being, my reputation, and then two years later, I kind of let it slide because it's not so much in the media. Nothing ever happened. You know, it's hard to prove a negative that everything we do with the TSA prevent terrorism or did, you know, was it a wash? You know, we, we can't prove that negative. Right. So I try to just show them that if you're starting to see these things again or if you definitely want some follow up, here's what that's going to look like. and Here's how we can do that. So that ideal client is going to hit all those three things. They're going to be able to make a decision. They're going to be able to identify the needs and be willing to um fix them or implement mitigating strategies and then realize that this is ongoing. You know, it's kind of like going to the gym. You can't go to the gym one day and now you're in shape. <laughs> right. Do you ever have the opportunity to um, talk to um, young kids? Like do you go into schools and talk to students and um, talk about how they can uh, respond to different I things? I do. I do. And one of the things I actually take great pride in that I do, and I just did it back at my alma mater, my old high school, Rinkukas Valley, uh, is how juveniles can have a safe, successful interaction with law enforcement. You know, if they're encountered by law enforcement, absent their parents or a trusted adult, how's that going to look? Like, what are some tips that I can give children? I train police officers on that side of it all the time, but now I'm actually talking to children, especially brown children in the inner city. I think they really need that attention because I, I want to build up their dignity. I want to build up their confidence. But also need to let them know that right now you don't have the power in this situation. The police officer or officers or security guards or the adult that is taking charge actually has the power. Document it, cooperate, keep yourself safe, control your emotions, and then immediately 
report that to a trusted adult to ensure that your rights weren't violated and that anything that you need to do to follow up is going to be taken care of. So I, I really enjoy that. I really enjoy that because I have to jump a hurdle to get credibility when I walk into that room and, and those kids see me like, ah, you're just a cop just trying to tell us that. Yes. I, I, yeah, I totally get that. And again, that goes back to the, you know, if this happens, here's what you need to know that's, that's going to help you, you know, in some cases survive, but in order for things to go at least hopefully the way that you would like them to at, at, at minimum. Um, I, I think your, your story starting from, you know, being on the police force and getting the SWAT, I mean, you're exactly where you need to be, but let's back that up a little bit more. And when you were young, Corey, what did you do for fun that, um, it doesn't necessarily have to me, you know, be how you got into law enforcement or things like that, but what did you do that was kind of creative and fun that, you know, before you had to get really serious that you can think back fondly and say, oh yeah, that was really kind of fun. (laughs) There would be those, Catherine, who say, I mean, I haven't gotten serious yet. <laughs> that I'm still that 14-year-old that running around with reckless abandon. So going back to that 14-year-old, I, I was outside from, you know, after school until the order was to come home and just playing with friends in the neighborhood, riding our bikes around, playing street football, playing basketball on the corner, and just, just basically just general hanging out. I was kind of a sheltered kid. I was a firstborn. So my parents had me on a really tight leash. I couldn't. Fortunately for me, because I wasn't able to go out and get in trouble, I don't know what, if I would have or not. I tend to think I would not have. But that was fun. Then I got into like a karate because I kind of had a little bit low confidence. Uh, and when I was 14, so I got into karate. That really helped build my confidence. I met some really solid people in there. That was fun, going to tournaments and things like that. Uh, so that was basically my, my fun. That was basically my fun, just hanging outside with my friends. There was no, there was no Xbox. There was no, you know, flipping on the phone in 1983. Yeah. <laughs> no stoop scrolling, none of that stuff. I know it was, it was so yeah. simple. You know, we just, we just found things to do sometimes out of boredom and um, sometimes just because, Hey, let's go over here and do this a little bit more of that freedom. Um, but at some point you decided that you were going to get into law enforcement. What was uh, the, the catalyst for that? Two, two catalysts. My uncle, uh, Charles Jones, uh, God bless him, was a police officer in Philadelphia for 30 years, from 1961 to 1991. And he was my brother's godfather, lived 10 minutes away. So my family and his family, my parents and, and him, were together quite often. So if I didn't see him twice a month, that, w- that was a lot. You know, I would see Uncle Charles quite often and just the stories he would tell. Yeah, it was exciting to, for a 16, 17, 18-year-old to hear those exciting, fun stories. But it was also, you could see in there, he actually took great joy in actually blocking people up. Now, I'm not going to blow sunshine and, and say that he was true altruistic. Oh, I want to help people and change the world. He really enjoyed just locking up the bad guys, which I enjoy too. Yeah. You know, But I also enjoy that, like I said, when I was exposed to community policing and got to deal with people who weren't actually experiencing a crime at the time, but were just talking... I could see, I could tie those together. So he was one uh, impetus. And then the other would be my cousin, who was a former Marine and a former New Jersey State Trooper. And he was a trooper at the time, a, a relatively new trooper, and a little more modern in his stories. Because uncle was retired in 91, and I had just become a cop. He actually retired two months before I became a police officer, my uncle. So there wasn't a lot of crossover in, and as you know, American law enforcement has changed 
significantly between 1960-70. Every decade is you, you couldn't compare it to the previous decade, right? American law enforcement on both sides, what we do and what the public expects. So those two uh, family members were very uh, influential in helping me make that choice. And then my cousin actually drove me down to Wildwood, where I started my career, sat there while I took the test, you know, gave me advice and some guidance on how to, to work through that process, helped me prepare for the police academy. Um, then I got hired in Mount Laurel, and you'd be happy to know that I actually placed number one for firearms and number one for academic in, in the Mount Laurel, uh, the Burlington County Police Academy. And mainly I wanted to do that as a sign. Like, I know I was the first uh, African-American law enforcement officer in Mount Laurel, and the director of public safety, he says to me, he kind of says it like, I don't want to say jokingly, but I guess he maybe says it to everybody here. saying nothing would give me great pleasure, greater pleasure than to present you with the academic award. I said, I'll get it for you, sir. And he just kind of said, okay. And then I went and did it. So, you know, my uncle, my parents, everybody was very proud. I just wanted to say that, hey, I'm not just in here to fill a quota or anything like that. Like, I'm capable. I'm competent. I can do this. Oh, that's fantastic. That is, that is really, really fantastic. Um, I'm going to go back to karate for a second because you okay. kind of glossed over that. <laughs> Um, how far did you get with that? What, what belts did you get up to? So in the karate system that I first started in was called Tang Sudo. It's a Korean karate. And I got the brown belt, which would be two belts below black belt. So after black belt would be blue belt, then brown belt, red belt, green, orange, yellow, and then white. So I stayed with it for about four years. But again, this wasn't mixed martial arts. This wasn't like what you see in the UFC. This was that traditional white uniform with the belt. Karate, breaking boards, not that it's not effective in fighting, but it wasn't UFC, it wasn't mixed martial arts. It was more for the discipline, the athleticism, and the confidence. And it was fun. Yeah, I mean, I'm it seeing, was fun. I'm, I'm seeing for sure, you know, you are a type of person that, you know, likes a community, you like the discipline, so that I, I think you're kind of in the right place exactly because these are the two things that you were kind of drawn to, and now you're kind of doing that because essentially, um, if you are prepared and you, you, you're disciplined, you know, you're, you're going to have success when things occur, I guess. It's probably the best way I can describe it. I agree. So, um, yeah, you are, you are definitely in the right place. Um, but I'm going to ask, too, because you are in a position where it, there can be, you are talking about very ser serious things. Mm -hmm. So when, and also being a business owner, that can be kind of stressful, too. So when you're not doing either of those things, what are you doing to kind of unwind and relax that um, just kind of helps you, you know, level out a little bit as far as get more balance? I would still say that I'm a newlywed. My wife and I met eight years ago. We've been married uh, five years. Uh, we got married the same month that I retired from the police department. So just enjoying my wife and my stepkids. Uh, my youngest is a football player at the local high school. So just yesterday we went and watched him play. He got some good tackles. He's really excited about it. He's coming into his own. He might actually have a future. My oldest uh, stepson is a senior. Um, we're exposing him to uh, military uh, officers, candidates, school, and things like that. So he's really excited about that. So that that's fun, just watching them and me, me trying to make sure I balance myself, uh, guiding and not pushing. You know what I mean? Guiding them and, and not pushing them, exposing them to different things without, you know, trying to, I don't want to pull the wool over there. I don't want them to see reality. So that's fun. Hanging out with my wife is fun. And then I have three dogs. We have three dogs, two boxers and a labradoodle. And that is my stress relief. My, especially my two boxers, they, Buford and Cyrus, they are my stress relief. They are just, they're my everything. We sit, we watch TV together. We'll chill outside together. We'll go for a walk together. 
You know, sometimes I take them for a ride to the car wash or whatever. I take them to the pet pet store and let them pick out a toy that they want one at a time. So it's just about them. You know, people think I'm crazy, but no, it's, it's fun to me. I don't think anyone's going to think you're crazy. Um, but honestly, you know, it's the first time somebody has brought up their dogs, which I find very interesting because I know secretly people are doing the exact same thing that you were doing, even though they were not brave enough to admit it on this podcast, because <laughs> I also do things like that. And I think there's just something about, you know, just uh, the carefree yeah. spirit of a dog that really helps ground us too. It's like, oh, yeah. look what matters to you, nothing. You get your yeah. food, you get some pets, you know, you get to hang out and that's all they really need. And it, it's a really gentle reminder of what we all really just need out of life. So I love that you're using that kind of as something that kind of keeps you grounded. That and operating as a bit of a mentor with these stepchildren because somebody did that exactly same thing for you. And that helped you find your path. And, you know, like you said, guiding that pushing, I think that is a perfect statement when it comes to uh, children and regarding how we should be um, working with them. And you get to do that, I guess, a lot often, too, with just other kids. Like mm -hmm. we're talking about you doing work in schools and things like that, too. Um, how you had, you had talked about how, you know, you kind of come into schools and, you know, you have to kind of win them over a little bit. Do you find that when you leave that you uh, now have, they're on your side? <laughs> that you win yeah, them over I, 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 again, you can't get everybody, right? <laughs> There's still going to be those holdouts. But, yeah, I, I think the vast majority will say thank you. They, they will um, uh, give me the, the, the applause. And you can tell the difference between the, okay, we're clapping now. And, the, oh, yeah, no, no, you actually made oh, sense. Yeah. I got to be, so the thing is I have to be really be vulnerable. I have to really explain to them and really let them see that my evolution as a police officer. My first years, I was not the same police officer as I was my last five years. My first five years, I would almost be embarrassed. Not that I was doing any, violating anybody's rights, but I just wasn't professional and courteous. I wouldn't want me to have been the cop that dealt with my mom my first five years ago. Not that he would have arrested her or used bad language. He just wouldn't have been gentle. It's okay, Mrs. Jones. I got you. Take care. Sit down. We'll, we'll get this taken care of. You know? And, and then I I'm, was able to more, um, not more, was able to transition to being able to determine which hat I needed to wear at what time. You know, which which persona needed that that person needed at that time and, and be able to deliver that. So when I tell that to the kids, they're like, you're going to get officers that you don't know what they're showing up with. We don't know what the call for service was. We don't know how many people called them. We don't know what they just dealt with. We don't know if you resemble somebody that they just dealt with. So I have to try to give them the facts and paint the picture. And I said, and we don't know what's going on with you. We don't know if you're expecting us to come. We don't know what you have. So it's, it's a big, it's kind of like when you meet a new dog for the first time, you're like, uh, is it going to bite me? You stick your hand out all gently. Like, ah, uh, is it going to bite me? So that's kind of the, the way this relationship is. Because we don't yes. know. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a very, very important message. Absolutely. Uh, the last question I have for you is, um, in your day-to-day -day job, what is the, your most favorite thing that you get to do? Like a client hires you and like, this This is my... This that's is a my, great, that's my favorite question, really. Um, it's, it's when I'm done a training or, or towards the end of a training uh, scenario or, or session with my client and their, and their team. And especially when I see the people that were on the, on the less enthusiastic scale are now enthusiastic about doing the training, the drills, the practice sessions and so forth. When I see them actually contributing 
to it, not just going through the motions, but actually contributing. And one of the things I try to teach my business leaders is you may have people by virtue of their rank or assignment that they are in charge. But when you do the trainings that I put uh, my clients through, you'll see what I call informal leaders pop up. When you put them under stress that they haven't seen before, and we give them decisions to make. We give them the tools to, to solve the issue. But you'll see that person who you never thought was, was a leader. You, you didn't assign them anything. They're just a, a tenured. I don't want to minimize it by saying just a, but they're a tenured team member. And all of a sudden, you see them taking charge. No, we can't go that way. We should go this way because this, this, and the other thing. And Digging on skill sets that you may not have known that they had. So to see that happen and then just watch quietly and watch the manager or the boss or the owner go, oh, wow, and see that happen. So that person got confidence. That person got confidence. So I think I accomplished more than just giving them the run, hide, fight for this active shooter type scenario. I gave them a little bit more. So everybody has a little bit more. One of my clients is national clients. They have stores in, um, all up and down the Eastern Sea. I think in every state on the East Coast, they have about 10 stores at least in each one. And they hired me to do active shooter training. But the way I was doing my active shooter training was more crisis management. So um, the government said when everybody was being a zombie prepper, if you remember, they said, well, if you're prepared for the zombie apocalypse, you're prepared for a hurricane. So whatever you want to call it, go do that. So I would train my clients for active shooter, but I would always expand it to a crisis manager. Well, I was, as I was training this client, and as soon as I say it a month, you're going to know exactly what this morphed into. I started training them in January of 2020, and it was like a three-month project because I had to go to Baltimore about six times to train all their people in their headquarters. The pandemic happened. And now they had multiple stores in multiple states with multiple um, rules as far as you know the pandemic response and mitigation efforts. And my plans that I was giving them is really helping them communicate, right? So I, that's the front ransomware, so anything like that. We need to be able to have secure, immediate, effective, accurate, actionable communication. So they actually wrote me a letter and, and allowed me to post it on my website saying that safety man's crisis management training greatly assisted us in navigating the pandemic while having satellite locations in 12 states during that time. So that was really good. I, I love that. I think yeah, that, that is really fantastic. And just to clarify, you know, I said you were uh, New Jersey and Philly, but... I'll go anywhere you fly me. Yes, I will work anywhere. I'm, I've seen California, <laughs> Las Vegas, Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, uh, New York, Boston. I, I've trained in, in a lot of states. Uh, anywhere you go, anywhere you, you, you need me, I'll fly. A lot of companies will have, uh, you know, a location close by, and they say, you know what, we have a location out there. We want you to go out there and do the same thing out there. So that's kind of how I start to spread my wings uh, going nationally. And I, I really enjoy that because then I get to see new places, get to experience new people, get to experience new cultures. Part of my training is always meet with the first responders that are responsible for the area that my client is so I can determine what their response protocol is. So I don't want to tell you something, Catherine, that my police department would do here in New Jersey, but where you live, your police department might have a different protocol. So I need to find out what that is to make sure that the plan that I'm giving you is going to work with what they're going to do. That's an excellent note. And I will have all of your contact information attached to this podcast. So if people would like to have the safety man come out and help them with some of their, uh, I guess, potential situations or just to make sure that they are informed if something comes up, um, they'll be able to reach you. 
But I truly appreciate your time today. Um, you are a very valuable asset to your community, and we appreciate the work that you do, both what you did do and what you're doing now, because they're both very, very valuable. So thank you so much for being a guest today. Catherine, thank you so much. It was so enjoyable. You're such a, uh, such a great host. Uh, you asked really thoughtful questions. I really enjoy this, and I hope maybe we can do this again in, in, in the future. So stay safe. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. The Secret Art of Business is supported by Portfolio Creative. Portfolio Creative is a recruiting and staffing company specializing in finding marketing talent. Go to PortfolioCreative.com to get started in finding your next marketing person or your next job. We are experts. We are creative. We are good humans. Please subscribe or follow this podcast to get the latest episodes. And let me know if there's someone you think of that would be a great guest on the show. Here we can build a community that believes creativity and drive can work together.